Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are again given the opportunity to study his holy words and his commands. As you all know, we are studying the book of Joshua. So last week we talked about Joshua chapter 5, and they finally are able to cross the Jordan. They consecrated themselves and prepared themselves spiritually for the physical battle that is up ahead. So we're going to look into that battle and how Yahuwah would deliver Jericho into the hands of his people Israel. So this is Joshua chapter 6, the uncommon fight. It is uncommon because the one who's leading the battle is Yahuwah himself. So let's go ahead and jump into Joshua chapter 6 and the verses 1. This is what it says. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And so because of the news concerning the power of Yahuwah, Israel's God, the people inhabiting Canaan became afraid. And in their fear, well, they made sure to secure Jericho because Jericho stood as the fortified uh, city and supposedly it is impenetrable. Sure, no one can destroy or no one can break through the city. They made sure it was securely shut up no one can go in, no one can come out. When we look at Jericho, the ancient city, um, according to an artist's conception, this is how it looks like. It's not really a large city. It sits on top of a mound that's about eight to 10 acres so that you can circle the entire city in about half an hour. And so it's about half a mile in uh, the perimeter. And so you can actually take a nice jog a half a mile jog if you want. And that's how it may look like. And you can see that it's fortified by walls. In fact, you can see two sets of walls. This is to keep the enemies away. And the way the walls of Jericho were built, uh, it was such that it prevented uh, the enemies from getting a ladder so that they can climb over and it would be impenetrable even if they use like a bulldozer of some kind. And so they would not be able to break through the walls because it was fortified, it was secured. And so during the days of Canaan, the city of Jericho represented the most fortified city and also represented the cream of the crop when it comes to military men. And so it was believed by many scholars that many of the various military people from different tribes, different kingdoms throughout Canaan, they kind of joined forces there in Jericho to make sure that the Israelites would not be able to advance across Jericho because once they do that, well, that would be the end of the people of Canaan because they were afraid because they saw the power of Yahuwah working through the Israelites. And so this was kind of like their hope. Um, they were hoping that the Israelites would not be able to penetrate the walls of Jericho. And this is like, this is how the protection of the walls looks like. You can see there's two sets of walls and it could be as high as 46 feet. And it was created in such a way to minimize enemy um, occupation. And so they did their best to build this so that the enemies are kept outside of the city. And so as you can see, it would take a miracle to be able to overcome the walls of Jericho. So that's what the people of Israel were facing. However, this was not Joshua's battle. This was Yahuwah's battle. And Yahuwah says this to the people of Israel 
to Joshua specifically. And Yahuwah said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. And so Yahuwah gives this instruction, basically a promise. It is a prophetic promise. Yahuwah says to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. And so it is a guarantee by Yahuwah himself that he will be the one, not you, Joshua, not the people of Israel. I will be the one to give Jericho into your hands. And so when Yahuwah is speaking to you and he's telling you, I'm going to do this, we're going to be filled with courage, right? And so Yahuwah tells this to Joshua. Joshua is encouraged. The people of Israel, they're encouraged. And so what would Yahuwah do? I mean, how can he deliver the people of Jericho and Jericho itself into the hands of Israel? How would he do that? Of course, Yahuwah can do anything. All he, all, I mean, he can just basically speak the word and the walls would collapse and everything would be destroyed. He can do that. However, we know that Yahuwah, when he does things and makes promises, he wants to maintain that partnership he has with his covenant people. A covenant represents a relationship. And so when Yahuwah gives a promise, like I will give you this land, I will give you your enemies, I will do my part, but you have to do yours. There's a partnership of we doing our part and Yahuwah doing his. And so Yahuwah, making a promise, I'm going to deliver the Jericho into your hands. He also gives the instructions for the Israelites to follow. What are they? Joshua 6.3, you shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And so what was the instruction of Yahuwah to the people of Israel? What did the battle plan consist of? It's very unorthodox, right? Because instead of using military equipment, all they had to do was to walk. They were to walk around the city which would be about maybe less than a mile, half a mile or so. And so they would walk around it for uh, once a day for six days afterwards. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And so the instruction was six days, they would walk around the city together with seven priests who have seven trumpets. They will be blowing the trumpets and they will have the Ark of the Covenant with them. Now, what was special about the Ark of the Covenant? We know it represents Yahushua, but also the presence of Yahuwah. So it's a symbol of Yahuwah's presence. It's a symbol of Yahuwah's fellowship with them. And so the Ark was there so that they would keep an eye on the Ark because that's what the Ark to follow. It represents the glory of Yahuwah. So in this, we see the spiritual aspect of the battle, right? There's a spiritual component and a physical component. In our previous studies, we talked about the spiritual first and the physical will follow. Same principle here. So this is a spiritual battle, first and foremost, and secondary, it's a physical battle. So what Yahuwah wanted from his people was to follow the instructions, the commandments, walk around the city for six days and on the seventh day walk around seven times and then blow the trumpets what also was included in this instruction it shall come to pass 
when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. This is a perfect illustration of Proverbs 3, 4 down to 5. You shall remember the passage. Trust Yahuwah in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. He will bulldoze the path that is ahead of you so that you can go straight into the place Yahuwah wants you to be at. And so this was the promise of Yahuwah. So on the seventh day, take note, the, the trumpet blast is going to sound a little different. Instead of the short blast, it's going to be a long blast. And so it's the, instead of the uh, short blast, I mean, I don't want to even attempt to make the sound. I want to make a fool out of myself. But you know the difference between the short blast and the long blast, a drawn out blast. This was to be done on the last day, on the seventh day, after they complete seven, seven times around the city. And so the priests, they're going to change their tune. And once they change their tune to a long blast, the people will shout with all of their ability, with a great shout, and then the city will fall down flat and the people will enter as though it was, they were unhindered. And so this was the instruction of Yahuwah to Joshua. So Joshua instructs uh, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. What is that called? A shofar before the Ark of Yahuwah. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of Yahuwah. So we have uh, some insight concerning how the processional will look. And so those who will go ahead are the armed men. Remember, people of Israel had a military, about maybe 600,000 strong. And so that's a lot of people considering that Jericho itself is not a very large city. It sits on top of a mound that's about 10 acres. So the perimeter is not that many. I mean, it's not that long. And so you can only imagine, I mean, 600,000 military men, that's a lot of people, right? It probably won't fit around the perimeter. So I don't know if it included all the 600,000 or maybe a select few, which is probably a good possibility, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is instruction was get some armed men. They go in advance, followed by the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, what also is included in this arrangement, eight to nine, after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with ram's horns started marching in the presence of Yahuwah, blowing the horns as they marched, and the Ark of, of Yahuwah's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the Ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. And so how they looked like the procession itself led by the armed men, then by the priests having seven horns, the Ark of the Covenant, and more, uh, guard, uh, more guardians or more people from in the back. And so that's how they kind of marched. However, another instruction was given uh, concerning the time when they are going around the city. What was that instruction? Do not shout, do not even talk. Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then 
Yeah. And so while they're walking around the city, they are not to say a word. That's kind of hard to do. If you are with a company of people, what tends to happen? You say something, the other person says something back. This time, they were to be completely silent. Can you imagine the scene? Hundreds of thousands of military men walking around the city, not talking to each other. Only the priest blowing the horns is producing the sound. They have, I mean, I don't know what the enemy would probably be thinking, but I know what the people of Israel would probably be thinking, <laughs> right? And so this kind of required a lot of trust. And so they were, they were instructed not to talk to each other. And I think one of the purposes for that is so that they can meditate, right? Instead of talking to each other, they can look at the, the walls and they can meditate on the power of Yahuwah. They can look, uh, look, look at the Ark of the Covenant and be inspired by that. And so this is a good example of walking meditation. When you're contemplating, reflecting, what is Yahuwah going to do? How is this going to pan out? So this requires a lot of trust on the part of the people of Israel. And so this was the instruction. They were to go around, and after they finished walking around uh, the city, they were to go back uh, to their camp. So the Ark of Yahuwah was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. So this was the strategy. This was the plan that Yahuwah gave to the people of Israel. Basically, um, the instruction to destroy the walls of Jericho was simply to worship, right? Seven days of focus and contemplative worship. That was the plan. Worship. Brethren, do not underestimate the power of worship. As a matter of fact, if any of you who are watching this program now, you're facing some kind of tribulation in your life, maybe it's a sickness, some kind of impossible challenge that you're facing, you don't know what to do, worship. Try contemplative and focused worship. We used to call that a devotional prayer, right? Maybe what we can do is for ourselves, we can set up seven days of focused worship where we focus on the word, focus on prayer, 30 minutes a day maybe, right? And on the seventh day, really give yourself fully to Yahuwah. And so we show to Yahuwah we're consecrated. We want to set ourselves apart. There's power in true worship. There's power in focus and contemplative worship. But for them to be able to carry this out, it required trust and surrender. Because when they're walking around, they're basically defenseless. Because the people of Jericho, they could go up to their posts and start shooting, shooting arrows towards them, right? And so they were defenseless. And so for them to go around, not talking to each other, just contemplating the power of Yahuwah and the word of Abba, meditating on his word, that requires a lot of trust and surrender. So there's power in worship. There's power in trust and surrender. That's the key when it comes to our spiritual battle. That's the key in creating the criteria for miracles, miracles in our life. Because when we worship, 
Yahuwah's hand moves. And when Yahuwah's hand moves, nothing is impossible for him. So this was the plan. The plan was to worship. The plan was to consecrate themselves. And so when they did this, the following morning, what happened? Let's read. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of Yahuwah. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of Yahuwah, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of Yahuwah. At this time, the priests were blowing their horns. And this, this was uh, the victory procession, basically. The armed guards, the seven priests blowing trumpets, the Ark of the Covenant, and then the rear guards. This is how the formation looked like. We call it a victory procession because when they were carrying out this instruction, they were mobilizing the hand of Yahuwah because obedience moves the hand of Yahuwah. Worship moves the heart of Yahuwah. So if we seek the help of uh, our father Yahuwah, we need to give ourselves to him in surrender. And so what do they do on the second day? On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. And on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the city as they had done before. But this time, they went around the city how many times? Seven times on the seventh day day and on the seventh day what did the priest do the seventh time around as the priest sounded the long blast joshua commanded the people shout for yahuwah has given you the town and so on the seventh trip around the city the long blast from the horns was produced coupled with the command to shout because yahuwah is going to give the city of Jericho into their hands. And so this was carried out by the people of Israel. And when they did this, when they acted in obedience, what did that mean for Jericho? Now the city uh, shall be doomed by Yahuwah to destruction. It and all who are in it, only, who's the exception? Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And so Jericho was doomed when the people of Israel obeyed the command of Yahuwah. And so it was the obedience of the people of Israel that brought the doom or destruction upon the people of Jericho, who were the only ones who were going to be spared. Rahab the harlot, and those who are with her in the house. We talked about this in Joshua chapter 2, about the scarlet thread. Uh, it's a very interesting study. If you haven't seen that, please do watch Joshua chapter 2, because there we notice that Rahab was afraid. She had a fear of God, because she heard about what he was able to do, even across the Jordan River, when the victory of Israel over the en their enemies became famous, many of the people in Canaan became afraid of Yahuwah, right? The people of Canaan, they also were afraid of Yahuwah. This is why when you read Joshua chapter 5, it describes the hearts of the people of Canaan as being melted 
their hearts melted because of fear. Rahab feared God. The people of Canaan feared God. But notice the different response, right? Uh, Rahab, in her fear, what did she do? She repented. And she sought to surrender and be a servant of Yahuwah. On the other hand, the people of Canaan, including Jericho, they were not willing to give up their idolatry. They were not willing to give up their sin. They were unrepentant. And if that's the case, then they are, their fear causes them to avoid God, to resist God. So there are basically two different responses to fear. There are those who surrender, like Rahab. And there are those who resist, like the people of Canaan. What's the difference? It's about faith and about repentance. Those who are unwilling to let go of their idolatries, those who are unwilling to let go of their sins, they're the ones who are afraid to approach God. And that's true even today, right? You notice there are people who do not like to go to church. They don't want to talk about the subjects of worship. Why? Because they know they're not willing to change their life. And so they run away from the Father. This is the case for the people there in Canaan. But for Rahab, it was different. And so she would be spared. And so once they enter Jericho and destroy the land, what would happen to the things that are found there? Let's read. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to Yahuwah and must go into his treasury. And so when um, Jericho is to be given to Yahuwah, the people of Israel were not to take for themselves the silver and the gold. These are called devoted things. And so this was kept or set apart and it will be going into the treasury. And so when the trumpet sounded, what happened to the people there in Jericho? Let's read 20 to 21. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to Yahuwah and destroyed with the sword everything, living, every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And so victory was given to the people of Israel. It was an uncommon fight because their methods for fighting were unorthodox. They marched around the city blowing horns. That was not a typical military strategy, but it was a spiritual one given by Yahuwah himself who gave the victory. However, in this fight, Yahuwah did his part. We have to do ours. We have to be prepared to face conflict. And even today in our spiritual battles, there's going to be conflict. We can never remove conflict. It's something to be expected because no conflict, no crown. The path given to us is not easy, but it's guaranteed victory if we will follow the voice of our father Yahuwah. So Yahuwah gave Israel something to do so that the work becomes a partnership, a covenant partnership between Yahuwah and his people. This is also true today in our, in our battles, in our journey. Yahuwah God gives us something to do 
And there is also Yahuwah's part in it. And so we need to trust that he will do his part, but we have to do ours as well. And so when Yahuwah gave the, the land or the city into their hands, what did they remember to do? Let's read. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all their other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And so Rahab and her family were safe. They were safe. They were delivered because of the faith of Rahab. And then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of Yahuwah's house. So, uh, so Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies. Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So we can see Rahab was spared. And the reason why she was spared was because she had faith, and her faith produced actions. She hid the spies. This was a big thing to Yahuwah. Because remember, Yahuwah was looking for people who were loyal to him, who were willing to repent and to approach him. But we also need to understand not just about the loving kindness of Yahuwah. We also need to understand the, the wrath of Yahuwah. Because there are people who don't believe in the wrath of Yahuwah. But he does have a wrath, right? He has judgment. And we cannot remove that part of who God is because he's holy. There is wrath and judgment that will come for those who are unrepentant. Yes, Yahuwah is patient. He's long-suffering. He gives the opportunity for people to repent. But once that time has elapsed, Yahuwah will act in judgment. Because there are people who are going to be asking, you mean all those innocent people died? Wait a minute. What makes you say they're innocent? Right? Who gets to decide who's innocent or not? Not us. Not us. It is Yahuwah. It is his judgment. Yahuwah waited for how long? Was it 400 plus years? Right? So that the sins of the Amorites would be fully grown, ripe for wrath. And so we need to understand there's an expiration date to Yahuwah's patience. If Yahuwah has been patient with us, praises be to Allah. But let's not think that he will be forever patient with us. It's going to run out, brethren. We need to make sure if we have life right now, if we have a sound mind right now, we need to heed the warning of Yahuwah. Romans 2, 4 to 5, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Yahuwah is judge. Yahuwah has wrath. And those who will not repent, they're going to receive the wrath and anger of Yahuwah. So let this be a lesson for all of us. Yes, we preach about the loving kindness of Yahuwah. We preach about the compassion and mercy of Yahuwah. But we cannot remove from the Bible that part that says Yahuwah's wrath. It's part of who he is. And we need to respect that. In fact, we need to have reverence for that. That is who God is. And he will judge those whom he wants to judge. 
and show compassion to those whom he wants to show compassion. He wants to show compassion to Rahab because of her faith. Because of her faith, she did the right action that made her right with God, who was always looking for someone who was going. Oftentimes, we say to ourselves, God is on our side. God is not on their side. God is on our side. That's not the, the proper vernacular. I think it should be, we should go on God's side, right? We need to know where God is and go on his side. We need to show our loyalty to him. For the eyes of you who will run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Yahuwah's eyes scanned all of Canaan looking for people to save. But he only found Rahab, who was truly faithful. And because of her, he, she, and her family would be saved. And so we know that uh, Rahab would eventually remain among the people of Israel. And eventually she would be married to uh, Salmon, gives birth to Boaz. And we know Boaz uh, begot Obed. And we know Obed, we got Jesse. And who's Jesse again? The father of, what's the famous king's name? David. <laughs> and so Rahab, the prostitute, the, the Gentile, the pagan, because of her faith and actions, she will become a part of the genealogy of our king, Yahusha. And so Yahu was always looking. For people who are loyal to him. When he scans the earth today. Because we know the day when Yahushua will return. is fast approaching. He's scanning the face of the earth. Looking for those who are truly loyal to him. May we be found loyal to our father Yahuwah. And so when Jericho is destroyed. What did Joshua declare? At that time Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of Yahuwah fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. And so Jericho would be cursed. And Jericho at that time would be the symbol of Canaan. And so it would be the symbol of the adversary of Yahuwah. And so this curse was invoked by Joshua. Joshua was with Yahuwah. Yahuwah was with Joshua. And his reputation spread Throughout the land. So that's the story of Joshua 6, verse of Ch Joshua chapter 6, the taking of Jericho. Now, could this story, true story by the way, could the blowing of trumpets uh, to break through the walls of Jericho, could that be pointing to a future event? Because this is like this is what we like to do in the same with Yahushua. We look at the Old Testament and see if it's there's typology or pattern that point forward to the future, right? Because we know the scriptures is all about who? Yahusha. It's about the work of sanctification and glorification. It is about the restorative pattern that Yahuwah has planned for mankind. So Yahuwah is always moving forward progressively when it comes to the events of history. And we know the events of history point forward to something greater. And so this event, blowing of trumpets, could that be pointing to a possible future event? I think so. I think so. Why? Consider this, right? When we studied Joshua chapter 6, did you notice the patterns of sevens? Did you notice it? Patterns of sevens? Number seven is like a, a number of completion, completeness. Seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven circuits on the seventh day. 
right? And there's a lot of sevens throughout the Bible. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of sevens, lists of sevens uh, throughout the Holy Scriptures. And we also have many, many lists of sevens throughout the book of Revelation, right? When we studied Revelation, we, we saw all the sevens littered throughout the book of Revelation. For example, there were seven seals in the book of Revelation. The seventh seal is broken into seven trumpets. The seven trumpets is broken into seven bowls, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And so when we're looking for a future event being pointed to by the blowing of trumpets that caused the walls of Jericho to collapse, I think it should focus around the seven trumpets because there were seven trumpets um, during the days of Joshua. In Revelation, the Bible also mentions seven trumpets. When did the seven trumpets begin? Revelation 8, 1 to 2. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And so when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence in heaven for about how long? Half an hour. How long did it take to go around Jericho? About half an hour. Could that be connected? Could be, because it tells us in Revelation 8, 1 to 2, this ushered in the giving of the seven trumpets to seven angels corresponding to the seven priests who were given seven trumpets, one trumpet each. And the seventh day, well, that's the last trumpet. And so when we look at the seven trumpets, trumpet one, as an event, right? World War One, World War Two, and all the other events have brought destruction upon humanity, signaling a warning that some that the end is about to come. And we know 1914, World War Number One, was the beginning of the end times, mentioned by our King Yahusha in Matthew chapter 24. That's the beginning of the end times. And so we see here, Trumpet One begins that, and then Trumpet Two, Trumpet Three, Four, Five, Six, and then we have the last trumpet the seventh trumpet what happens when the seventh trumpet is blown in revelation 11 15 and 18 the seventh angel sounded the kingdoms of this world have become kingdoms of our yahuwah and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever your wrath has come the time of the dead that they should be judged and you should reward your servants the prophets and the saints. And so when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, the seventh trumpet, what happens? There's an announcement from heaven. And so it's like an official, official start of this new kingdom. What kingdom is this? The kingdom of Yahuwah and of his Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. And so this is going to be declared. And once it's declared, wrath is going to come upon the world so that people would be judged, right? And the prophets and the saints and the servants would be rewarded. And so this kind of fits the picture of Joshua breaking through the walls and inflicting wrath and judgment upon the people of Jericho, right? This was after the trumpet, the seventh trumpet is blown. What also happens when the seventh trumpet is blown? Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. 
and there were lightnings and noises, thunderings and earthquake and great hail. We have a more detailed study concerning the seven trumpet. Uh, please refer to one of our BHPs. I think the title is the, the last trumpet, right? So go ahead and watch that. And so Yahuwah announces when the seventh trumpet is blown that the kingdom will now be established. Before the kingdom can be established firmly, they need to first remove all the evil elements. This is why at the outset of the seventh trumpet, we have the seven bowls of wrath, right? To remove uh, the power of the devil, the antichrist, and the beast. And so in Joshua chapter 6, 20 to 21, 24, this event corresponds, the pattern corresponds well with what we read in Revelation chapter 11. Because take a look at this. When the sound of the ram's horn is made, the seventh trumpet, right? And there's going to be a shout as loud as it could. Then the walls of Jericho collapses. And once it's collapsed, what happens? Um, they completely destroyed everything and burned the town and everything in it. This is the wrath of Yahuwah. So the blowing of the trumpet on the seventh day pointed to the official announcement of the kingdom of Yahuwah and his Messiah, Yahushua. But we're not yet done. What else could the event in Jericho point to? Let's go back to Joshua 6. Uh, notice the seventh trumpet is different from the blowing of the trumpets from the, during the first six days, because for the seventh trumpet, it's going to use the long blast. Did you know that the people of Israel had different, uh, different sounds of the blowing of trumpets? It depends on what they needed to do. And so the trumpet was a signal to take action. But depending on how it sounds, a short blast or a long blast, the people of Israel would know what to do because back then, of course, they had no cell phones to communicate. They had to use the trumpet blast. And so this was the instruction given in Numbers. Yahuwah said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver to use for calling the people together and for breaking camp. When uh, long blasts are sounded on both trumpets, the whole community is to gather around you at the entrance to the tent of my presence. And so we can see here the long blast was blown when Israel was to gather around near the tent of presence to be in fellowship with who? Yahuwah. And so the long blast, that was a nice blast to hear because it signals fellowship with who? Yahuwah. It's a gathering, an assembly. But there are also other patterns of the blasting sounds produced by the trumpet. And Numbers 10, 4 to 8, but when only one trumpet is sounded, then only the leaders of the clans are to gather around you, okay? When short blasts are sounded, the tribes camp on the east will move out. Interesting. They have their own signature of sound. Right? When the short blasts are sounded a second time, the tribes on the south will move out. So, assumably, uh, the, the north and the west, they have their own pattern of sound. So, short blasts are to be sounded to break camp, but in order to call the community together, long blasts are to be sounded. The trumpets are to be blown by Aaron's sons, the priests. The following rule is to be observed for all time to come. And so when the long blast is made, its purpose was to gather the people together before the presence of Yahuwah. That's the long blast. And so the first six days, when they were circling around the city of Jericho, 
the priests, they were blowing continuously their trumpets, but it was short blasts. But on the seventh day, long blast, the sound of a long blast. And when the sound of the long blast was made, it was also coupled with other things. The sound was made and Joshua tells the people to shout. Then Yahuwah gives the town over to, uh, to Israel. And they were instructed to shout as loud as they could. And then the walls of Jericho collapse. I want you to look at this pattern. There's the sound of a long blast, a trumpet, right? There's also the shout. And there's also the breaking down or the collapsing of the wall. There's the presence of Joshua, which we know points to who? Yahushua. There's the presence of Yahuwah. So when you have all these patterns together, the shout, the trumpet, the gathering together of people in the presence of Yahuwah through the leadership of Joshua, causing the, the walls to collapse. When you look at all those patterns, do you know what it perfectly matches? What does it match? It matches Thessalonians, doesn't it? Look at Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. There's a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's an assembly, a gathering of people. Isn't that what's produced when you have the long blast? This is going to be an assembly of coming together of those who belong to Yahushua. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so all those elements that we found in Joshua chapter 6, they're found in Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. There's a shout. Um, the instruction to shout was given by Joshua. Here we have Yahushua shouting. We have the trumpet of God. And when the shout and the trumpet of God and Yahushua descends from heaven, what is the result? The dead in Christ will rise up first and they will be caught up together in the clouds to be with Yahushua. Isn't that much like the walls of Jericho? When the people of Israel were looking at the walls of Jericho, what was in their minds? This is impossible, <laughs> right? The impossibility of breaking through the walls. That wall separated them from Jericho, just like death is an impenetrable wall for the people of, for humanity in general. And so the wall of death collapsed at the sound of the trumpet and at the sound of the shout when Yahushua descended so that we can be gathered. See, that trumpet blast is going to be heard by the people of Elohim, dead or alive. What is the purpose of that trumpet blast to assemble the people of Elohim together through our king, Yahushua? That's the purpose of the long trumpet blast. So the blowing of the trumpet on the seventh day points, I thought so, the catching up into the clouds when the walls of death collapse, bringing us into fellowship with Yahuwah and Yahushua. Isn't that beautiful? But we're not finished. Let's go back and look at the sound of the long blast. You see, when the people of Israel had all these patterns of blasting, of uh, ram's horns, shofar, making the, uh, the noise, making the blast sounds, they had different uh, patterns. There are four kinds of blowing of trumpets. There's the tekiah, 
one long straight blast, a long blast. Shevarim, three short blasts. The Tarua, nine quick blasts in short succession. And then there's the Tekiya Gedola. You notice Teki number one and number four are the same? What's the difference between number one and number four? Tekiya, Tekiya Gedola. What does that mean? Greater Tekiya. The first sound, long. And so every time we would have like a feast, like the feast of trumpets, they would have the blowing of trumpets, right? It would start with a tequila, a long blast, and then a succession of short blasts, and then the grand finale. The finale of the finale. The grand tequila, the tequila gedola, is the longest of the blast, the greatest of the blast, because it concludes uh, the festival and it introduces the presence of Yahuwah. So it's grand. That's why it's called Tekiya Gedola, greater Tekiya. It's also called the last trump. You know what the Apostle Paul said about the last trump? Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so what happens at the last trumpet in the twinkling of an eye? Our bodies will be transformed from a mortal body into an immortal body. So the blowing of the trumpet of the day uh, pointed to the harpazo when the walls of death collapse, bringing us into fellowship with Yahuwah and Yahusha, and we will be given glorious bodies. This is why, brethren, we should look forward to the harpazo. We should look forward to the sound of that last trumpet. But how can we make sure that when that sound is made and the people of Elohim are going to heaven, how can we make sure that we're not going to be left behind? I mean, how many here want to be left behind? Because if we're left behind, you know what that means? We're going to have to face the wrath of God. I mean, we can still be saved. Right? Because the Bible indicates to us the greatest revival will basically happen after the harpazo. Because the people re will realize, you know what? I'm not, a, I'm not a true Christian after all, because I got left behind. This is why the people in Thessalonica were concerned. They were, they were thinking perhaps we were left behind already. And so they wrote to Apostle Paul, you know, we're disturbed by this. And so Apostle Paul had to write to them twice. To explain to them, no, you're not left behind. The harpazo hasn't happened yet. And so he had to explain that to them. But if we were to be left behind, we're gonna, it's, it's going to be a big problem. Because we're going to face the wrath of God. We're going to face the wrath of Satan. We're going to face um, uh, the Antichrist and the beast. Persecution is going to be severe. Bible says if it was not shortened, even the elect would not be able to receive salvation. This is why what we want to be sure of is when the harpazo comes, we're included, right? And so what can we do? How can we make sure that we are included among those who will ascend to heaven when that last trump is sounded? Well, it's a good thing. Joshua points forward to the, or points towards the harpazo event. We, we kind of saw that, right? And so having said that, we can look at what can be expected of us so that we will be included among those who enter into glory when that 
the pots of cups. And so what's the plan? What do we need to do? Well, we need to concentrate and worship. This was part of the victory, right? We need to be focused in worship. We need to contemplate and meditate. We need to practice this every day. What else? We need to surrender to Yahuwah. We need to live trusting him, trusting our king, Yahushua. There's always something else. So we worship. We have to make sure that we are always in worship. And when we worship, it should not be like a ritualistic worship, you know? Because there are some who, whose worship is ritualistic. It should be contemplated, focused worship. And we should express and show trust and surrender to our father, Yahuwah. Not only that, Bible also tells us that Yahuwah said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And so the Jericho, the king and the fighting men kind of represents the enemies, adversaries of our faith. So we need to conquer them. Yahuwah gives us the ability to conquer them. Because Yahuwah says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. He has a promise to deliver that to us. But we have to do our own fighting. Yahuwah is not going to do our part. <laughs> Yahuwah will fight for us, but we have to do our part as well. So we need to understand the enemy. And so the enemies of our faith is represented by the king of Jericho, by Jericho itself, and by the fighting men. Do you know what they represent? Because unless we know who our enemies are, how can we be victorious over them? Remember, when we started the book of Joshua, we told you it was a good book to study because it prepares us and teaches us strategies so that we can overcome the enemy, so that we can enter the promised land and receive the blessings of our Father Yahuwah. So what does the Bible inform us about these enemies of our faith, represented by King of Jericho, Jericho and the fighting men? When we go to Ephesians chapter 2, by the way, Ephesians and Joshua, they kind of fit together nicely. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed uh, the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So here Apostle Paul identifies uh, the three enemies of our faith. Do you see? What's enemy number one? This world, because the world is evil in its influence. This is why we should not love the world or the things of the world. How can the love of the Father be in us if we love the world? That's, that's one enemy. We can miss out on the harpazo because we're so fixated on the ways of the world. What else is an enemy? The ruler of the kingdom of the air who happens to be a spirit. We have an invisible enemy. What else? The cravings of our sinful nature. This is the sins of the flesh. All three, that's like our enemies. And how do they bring disruption? By causing us to sin so that we can become objects of wrath. You see, the devil wins when we become the objects of wrath because that means we're going to be with him. We're not going to be saved if we're objects of wrath. And the way to bring wrath upon us is when we keep sinning and transgressing. This is why it's so important for us to repent. This is why we need to understand the enemy and overcome the enemy. So when we look at the enemies of our faith, King of Jericho, that represents the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right? 
Jericho, the ways of this world, the influence that our culture has upon our thinking, because our culture has this stronghold over us. It kind of causes us to think the way they think. And when we think the way the world thinks, we, be we behave in ways that become in conflict with our spiritual values. And so we need to be mindful of the culture and the things that bring sin into our life. The fighting men. I mean, what, what is it about our life that we need to fight and overcome? Because if not, it's going to take control of us. It's the flesh, the cravings of our sinful nature. So the fighting men represents the cravings of our sinful nature. So we need to overcome the ways of the world. We need to overcome the cravings of the flesh. But the one who was our arch nemesis, who uses uh, these two other enemies for his advantage, who is that? The spirit ruler of the kingdom of the air. Do you know who that is? Do you know who the spirit ruler of the kingdoms of the air is? In Ephesians, it mentions he's the one at work. He's working in those who are disobedient and uses the ways of the world as his instrument, uses the cravings of our flesh to tempt us, but he's behind it. Who is that? In Revelation 12, 9 to 10, he is called the dragon, the serpent, the devil, uh, Satan. Right? So we need to know the enemy. And so he's described as a great dragon. You know why? Because Satan has great power to destroy, to devour. That's why not only is he called a dragon, he's called a great dragon because he has great power given to him. Great dragon. That's our enemy. What else? Bible says he's a serpent. Why is he called a serpent? Because he is a deceiver. He deceives the whole world. So this enemy that we're fighting against has great power and also is a great deceiver. He deceived who again? Adam and Eve. But he did not stop there. He's deceiving people throughout history. He's deceiving people today. So we need to be mindful. What else? He's also called Satan. Now, what does the word Satan mean? When you look at the word Satan, the Greek word four, five, six, seven, it means adversary. He is the great enemy. Yes, there are many enemies of our faith, but the chief enemy we have is the devil, Satan. It's also called the devil. Now, what does the word devil mean? In Greek, uh, the Greek word is 1228, diabolos. It's very interesting because when you look at diabolos, it says false accuser, slanderer. And so when we look at the description of the enemy, he's called the devil and is also called the accuser of our brethren. He is malicious in his ways. He will accuse people falsely. He will spread slander and gossip against people. That's who he is. But what also is a part of who the devil is that we need to understand and be prepared for. It's interesting because when you look at the word um, diablos, that's the Greek word, diablos, it is made up of two root words, Hebrew words. And these two Hebrew words are dia and balo. Dia, balo, diablo. You see that? And so we can get, get a deeper understanding of why it's called diablos. Dia and balo. Dia means through. Balo means to thrust, to throw, to cast. Interesting. The root words dia, through, and balo, to throw, kind of pictures what the devil does. He likes to throw things relentlessly until he gets through. 
So he constantly throws between seeking to divide, whether it be between husband and wife, child and a parent, church. It's divisive and condemnatory accusations bring destruction. And so he likes to divide. He likes to throw things nonstop until he gets through, right? And according to the, the word studies from the Greek New Testament, devil means to throw through, which means to riddle one with accusations or to pierce with many holes. And so what this tells us is the devil will throw at you again and again, accusations, lies. He does not stop. You get it? He will throw things at you until he gets through. Until you're full of holes. That's the work of the devil. So the devil is not only the chief adversary of our faith. Not only does he have great power that deceives. He's always relentless. He does not stop to accuse, to slander, to tempt until he finally breaks through. Causing us to sin and divides and devours us. That's why... In other scriptures, he's called a roaring lion. <laughs> you know, lions, sometimes they kill to eat their prey. Sometimes they kill for sport. The devil does that. The devil is like a roaring lion because he's relentless. He has power. He has, he's clever and cunning like a serpent to deceive. And he is relentless. He will not stop. That's the enemy we need to be mindful of. But brother, how can we overcome the devil? How can we, who are sheep, prevail against our chief adversary? Because Yahuwah provided during the days of Joshua. Did he provide us with something or someone so that we can prevail over the devil? Let's find out. First Peter 2.25. Uh, Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. You see, we're like sheep. The devil's like a dragon, like a lion. And when you look at sheep versus dragon, sheep versus lion, who do you think is going to win that battle? The lion every time. But if the sheep has a shepherd, and the shepherd happens to be a greater Joshua, who is Yahushua? Then he becomes the guardian of our souls. And so, brethren, the key for us to be able to receive the promise of the harpazo is not to wander away from the shepherd, but to keep close to our shepherd. Don't wander away from him. Keep close to your shepherd because he's the guardian of our souls. He will protect us from the enemy. Why can we trust our king, our great shepherd, Yahushua? He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, nor my father. For my father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. Our king, Yahushua, is guaranteeing our safety. Our victory is guaranteed right here. What's the key? You heed his voice and follow him. When we heed his voice and follow him, we will not be snatched from his hands. We will not be snatched from the Father's hands. And we will be given everlasting 
life. Do we want to be included in the harpazo? Then we have to follow our King Yahushua. Don't wander away from him. Be close to him. The question is, brethren, I want you to ask yourself this question right now. How close are you to our Savior? How close are you to Yahushua? What is your relationship like with him? Are you following his voice? Are you making him your shepherd? Are you longing for his return? Or are we so busy by the things of the world that we have become distracted? You know, our King Yahushua gave a warning about the Harpazo. He spoke about the coming rapture. He spoke about the coming day of Harpazo. And he gave the following warning. Because there are those who are going to be left behind. And we don't want to be among those who are going to be left behind. And so he tells us. He gives us a passage that we need to meditate upon. So that we can be fully prepared. What is that passage? It's the book of Luke 21. 34 down to 36. He says, but take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. Our King Yahushua is speaking about the Harpazo here. He's speaking about that day when he returns. For some, they will be unprepared. And so it will come unexpectedly. Why? Because they're not prepared. But why are they not preparing? Because they're distracted. What distracts them? The things that weigh their heart down. What are the things that weigh down their hearts? Carousing. The ways of this life. Drunkenness. The cravings of the flesh. The cares of this life. Brothers and sisters, I know in this life we have so many responsibilities. We have bills to pay. Sometimes we get sick. We take care of our kids. We work nine to five, perhaps for some more. So many things in our mind. How can I survive? There's a pandemic. There's a war that is brewing. What am I going to do? There's a lot of things that weigh our hearts. And sometimes our hearts are weighed so down. We're not focused anymore. And our King Yahushua says, we have to be careful. Your heart should be weighed down by all these things. Don't be so focused upon this world that you place your hope and trust in this world. This world will come to an end. And Yahushua is telling us, we got to fix our heart, right? Why? Why must we fix our heart? What happens if that day, the harpazo, the day when Yahushua returns, what happens when that day comes and we're not expecting it? We're not ready for it. Take a look at the next verse. It says, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Do you know what the word snare means? It means a trap. If we're not prepared when the harpazo comes, if we're not prepared when that day comes when Yahushua returns, then the harpazo will be like a trap. Because if we're left behind, we're trapped on the earth. We're going to face all the things, the horrors mentioned in the Holy Bible. This is why our King Yahushua is speaking to us now. And he wants us to meditate on this passage. And he wants us to make sure that we're prepared. So how can we prepare? How can we make sure <clears throat> when Yahushua returns, that day will not be a snare. Instead, it will be the day when we will be with him forevermore. 
Let's at least read what it says in 36. Watch. Therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. When Yahushua returns, you want to be able to stand with him in the clouds, to be together with him. What does that mean? We will escape. Did you see that? We're going to escape. Escape what? The great tribulation. We will escape the great tribulation if we're watching. What does it mean to watch? It means to know the season. It means to know what's happening in the world. It means to know our hearts and to know our King Yahushua. Are we waiting for him? Are we watching for him? Are we preparing for his second coming? Are we longing to be with him? Or are we so fixated upon the world that Yahushua's return has become a distraction? Beloved brethren, if we're not going to be watching, if we're not going to be praying, if we're not going to be longing for the return of our king, we're going to be left behind. We don't want that. We want to be harpazo to be with our king Yahushua. So we need to focus upon our king Yahushua. And so what must we do every day? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. Apostle Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Beloved brethren, what must we do every day so that when our King Yahushua appears in the clouds, we will be given the crown of righteousness. We need to fight for our faith. We need to keep running our race. And most of all, we need to love his appearing. We need to long for his appearing. Every day, we should long for him to come. We need to pray to him and say, Yahushua, my king, when will you come? I want to see you. Life here on earth has nothing to offer me. I want to be with you where you are at now. Pray to him. Give your heart to him. Focus on him. And when that trumpet will sound, we shall be with him forevermore. Brethren, remove the distractions in our life. Be focused upon our king, our Mashiach, so that we can run straight. Straight toward the goal. His call for our heavenly life. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Our same Father, most holy and gracious Yahuwah, Abba, Abba, thank you so much for blessing your people with hope. The world is collapsing. Many things are transpiring before our eyes, bringing fear in the hearts of many people. Father, we look up to you. We place our hope and trust in your mighty hands. Help us to be focused. Help us to see the goal. Help us to hear your voice, to inspire, encourage, and comfort us. Behold your people in different places throughout the world. We stand before you now, guilty of sin, 
we want to repent. Our reverence for you moves us to surrender. We surrender completely to you. We are your servants, but you call us your sons. You call us your daughters. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for our calling. May we not waste it. May you see loyalty in our hearts. Abba, when you look upon us, when you examine our hearts, do we pass the test? If the heart so were to take place today, would we be included? Father, help us to change. Help us to prioritize your values, your goals for us. Help us to give ourselves completely to you. Our King Yahushua, we long to be with you. Help us to remember the purpose of our life. It is not so that we can amass wealth here on earth, but so that we can prepare for the kingdom, to be your instruments, to be with you. When that trumpet blast is sounded, when you will make that shout as you descend from heaven, we will listen for it. We will long for your presence. Bring us up. Take us with you. Remember our loved ones, our children. What a glorious day that would be. We will be set free from all infirmities, from all sicknesses. We pray only. May our children, our loved ones be included among those who will meet with you in the air. Oh, our King, when we have the opportunity, help us that we can communicate to our loved ones that we need to be fully prepared so that when you come, we shall receive your promised salvation. Thank you, Father, for giving us this teaching. You are preparing us now because it is so near. May we all be found ready and prepared to receive everlasting life. Thank you. Thank you, Abba, for listening to our prayers. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.